I'm Mark Rotterman, and this is Front Row. Coming up, the Supreme Court stops the eviction moratorium. Governor Cooper vetoes a repeal of the pistol permit law, and Speaker Moore urges North Carolina to welcome the Afghan refugees. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the lightning round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Join the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Jonah Kaplan with ABC News 11, political analyst Joe Stewart, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Mitch, why don't we begin with the Supreme Court rulings? Yeah, you know, the Supreme Court is in the final month of its annual summer break, but there's been plenty of action in what's sometimes called the shadow docket, and that's all of the things that happen that outside of the formal schedule of briefings and oral arguments and the lengthy decisions. A couple of the, the big items on that shadow docket have involved the Biden administration and losses for the Biden administration. First, we saw that the court ruled against the Biden administration's uh, attempt to end the Trump policy of remain in Mexico for asylum seekers. So that was a setback. And then shortly afterward, within the same week, the Supreme Court stopped the Biden administration's proposed federal eviction moratorium. So big losses for the Biden administration. Some people have said that part of the problem is that there was a vacancy in the Solicitor General's office. The Solicitor General argues on behalf of the administration, and there had been a delay up until August because the Biden administration was looking for a more diverse candidate than the one that they ended up finding. Another big rolling on the shadow docket that's outside of the Biden administration, but certainly big news, and Biden and his team have been against it, is this 5-4 ruling that allows the Texas abortion law to go into effect. Joe, are we beginning to see the uh, impact of Trump court? Well, I think that's a part of it. And, you know, presidents historically have had sort of a love-hate relationship with the Supreme Court. If you look back at the administration of Franklin Roosevelt, there was speculation that the president wanted to advance the number of jurists there were on the Supreme Court because he couldn't get rulings that he found favorable to the New Deal programs that he put forward. One of the interesting things about Biden is, among all presidents, he's had a considerable amount of experience in the process of selecting uh, members right. of the state Supreme Court. In fact, I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, if you go back, uh, Robert Bork, when, when Biden was first chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the largest defeat of a, of a judicial nominee. And then uh, Clarence Thomas, of course, the closest margin of, of that. But I think the, th the next thing for Biden is he's probably going to have to select a Supreme Court justice. Uh, Stephen Breyer is now in his 80s, has talked about retirement. It and may they're be trying to get him to retire. Well, and I think what may be up next for the Biden administration, looking at all of these recent defeats, is who are they going to pick to try to help bring the Biden administration perspective to the court? Nelson, you have the floor. Well, you know, despite ongoing efforts to intimidate the current court, the Supreme Court is standing up for federalism and limiting the power of government agencies to those 
expressly authorized by Congress. You know, if the president and Congress want a different policy on the southern border or rental housing, they need to actually pass a law. And the court is also treating the Biden administration the same way they treated the Trump administration when they tried, when they actually rejected Trump's efforts to end Obama's DACA dream, dreamers policy. And the other thing I would mention on the housing issue is that, you know, only 11% of the federal money that's, that was sent out to help renters uh, with their payments has actually gotten to the landlord. So, um, you know, how are landlords going to pay uh, their mortgage, building, maintenance, if they don't have the money from the renters. And Biden himself said what they were trying to do with the moratorium was unconstitutional. Jonah? Well, this month we're going to mark one year since the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And there was an individual who became kind of a cultural hero, but President Obama asked her to retire, and she wouldn't. And then she died literally two months before the election. And she would have been the swing vote in this uh, Texas abortion law case. I think what the Supreme Court cases do are they kind of, you know, drop the shroud on these simmering domestic issues that have been kind of put to the back burner. Abortion kind of always seems to come up election year, but now it's really going to be a domestic issue. And it's going to be a state issue, don't you think? Well, until it becomes a state issue, the court has to rule on it first. And this Texas law, which is quite complicated... But it complicated, won't be overturned. It won't be overturned. Uh... By, by the Supreme but it becomes court. emblematic of domestic policies, and therefore, even if though it's up to the court, not necessarily up to legislators, all of a sudden voters okay. are going to have to look at who supports what based on the Supreme Court's decision. We got to move. Let's talk about the General Assembly's week, Nelson. Uh, yes, Mark. So this week, Governor Cooper vetoed a law repealing a requirement to uh, obtain a permit from a lo from your local sheriff before you purchase. Uh, handgun. Uh, the law has never applied to long guns, shotguns, uh, semi-automatic rifles, and its origin is really straight out of the Jim Crow era. Um, the Sheriff's Association has agreed that this permit is unnecessary, it, it's duplicative of what is already being done with what's called the NICS system, which is the National Instant Check System, which actually includes uh, the mental health data that was a concern in previous years. Uh, when a pistol is actually purchased. So these permits really don't need to be done. They're a vestige of a, of a discriminatory era, and yet uh, Democrats seem to want to hang on to that. Uh, on a better note, uh, the governor did... Are votes to override, excuse me? Well, I think that the votes are probably not there to override, unfortunately. Uh, you would think that they would with the support okay. of the Sheriff's Association and given the, the, uh, the actual history of this uh, particular law. So we'll see. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention is that uh, on the upside, uh, three of the criminal justice reforms, major criminal justice reforms measures that the General Assembly passed this year have now been signed by the governor. Jonah, what have you been following, my friend? Well, that pistol purchase, I mean, the permit, one reason why Democrats are keeping it or they want to keep it, the Sheriff's Association only changed their mind on it about two years ago. So for decades, the Sheriff's Association wanted that pistol purchase permit in place. And the reason they want it in place is because it's kind of a de facto waiting period. There is no waiting period in North Carolina. But if you go to the Sheriff's Office, it usually takes about three to five days to get that permit in order to get some 
something. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's just the arguments for or against it. What I'm following in the General Assembly right now is you just had a, kind of another big bill, which was about um, discrimination or non-discrimination in the classroom, and you're starting to see the separation of really state and curriculum. And where does that fall? And what is government's role in the classroom? We're going to have a budget coming up soon. We're going to be talking about funding for the classroom, but where does the government fall okay. in into determining curriculum? So a lot of things that have that, that really deal with a lot of people. The budget has been pushed back, correct, to the end of September. Is that what we're looking for? That's where we're going to see a budget, Mitch. Yeah, actually, Nelson would probably have the most up-to-date information on that, but we heard from Senator Berger that he did not expect there to be any kind of deal on a budget before the end of September. What uh, was interesting to me is that while for a while we seem to be in kind of a wait-and-see mode on the budget, it seems like legislators have decided, yeah, that's a topic, but it's not one that's going to be resolved, so let's take care of some of these other issues like the school indoctrination bill, the criminal justice reforms, uh, an anti-rioting bill that was passed. There's a Another bill that would force school boards to vote every month that they want to keep mask mandates. So a lot of things are still happening. Joe, wrap this up in about 35 seconds, 40 yeah, seconds, course, my friend. Of course, what casts the longest shadow over a legislative session that ends in a, has a year that ends in a one is redistricting. And so as soon as they're done with the budget, it appears they're going to have to pivot and immediately begin to draw new legislative districts and new congressional districts, including a new 14th district. Legislators looking at the maps and what their new district might look like, that will influence what they think about the final budget package and how they might support it or oppose it. Okay, I want to move on real quickly. Joan, I want to talk about the Afghan refugee situation and them coming to America. And where does that stand right now? You can have a problem with that whole operation in Afghanistan, but I think you can also appreciate the, the incredible effort of basically airlifting more than 100,000 people out of that country. What you don't see on the cameras are where those planes land and where those people are going. The refugees are not going to nearby Pakistan, India. They're not going to other nations in the Arab world or in the Arab League. They're probably going to Europe or they're coming to the U.S. And this is probably one of the few times in my history here in North Carolina where Speaker Tim Moore and Durham Mayor Steve Shule are actually in agreement where they say, let's bring the refugees to North Carolina. And I think here, again, this is one of my favorite thing, sayings, two things can be true at the same time. We can absolutely want to welcome refugees the same way America has always been that haven for immigrants. But we can also be wary of what kind of mix of lifestyles and will they adapt to America? Will they adapt to our way of life? Will they be able assimilate. to assimilate? Well, I, assimilate, you don't want them to kind of give up their heritage and give up their identity and cultural identity. But look at Europe. I mean, you have the Algerian, Tunisian, Moroccan populations there, a large Arab population. And after decades, they haven't been able to adapt. They live in kind of their own silos. There creates there are all, no go zones in Europe. There are no go zones. And there, cre go and there. there creates uh, a, a atmosphere where there could be some radical Islamic terror. And we've seen that in, in parts of France. We've seen that homegrown terror in London. We've seen it in Brussels. We've seen it in Spain. So all these refugees, who's vetting them? How are they being vetted? They were kind of lifted off frantically. So what is the protocol in place to ensure that all it really takes is one person, one, to get through that maybe shouldn't and to create terror here in America. Mitch, typically it takes about 1,800, uh, 18 uh, months to do a background check on someone. 
Yeah, it really does take a long time to do a thorough background check, and that has been a concern. We saw that the chair of the House Freedom Caucus, who's an Arizona congressman, Biggs. has Biggs, who basically came out with a concern, said to the Homeland Security Secretary, hey, look at these people and make sure that you're not letting into this country folks who shouldn't be here, not because we have concerns that they're Afghanis, but well, we have concerns about their record. originally they were the ones who were supposed to have helped us right now, and people are just looking for asylum. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the program through which these people are being helped is really designed for translators, guides, people who helped the military and helped the, the establishment of the U.S. government as they were operating in Afghanistan. But, but with all the chaos that happened, it's not entirely clear that all the people who were airlifted were just those folks who helped us. Meanwhile, we still have Americans in, uh, in Afghanistan that are not getting out, right, Joe? No, absolutely. Part of the challenge is that the situation on the ground has become far more chaotic. The Taliban trying now to organize a government and formally take over control of the country, the ability to negotiate for the evacuation of not only citizens of the United States, but other citizens who want to, of other countries who want to leave. I think it's very likely that what's happened in Afghanistan, the sum total of how this experience went down, will become part of the narrative for the 2022 election. I think Republicans see this as a good opportunity to point to the Biden administration, not necessarily having the capacity that Biden promoted when he was running for president of a thorough knowledge of how government works, how national security works and those sorts of things. So the discussion of these refugees and what was or what was not done to make sure they were fully vetted is undoubtedly part of the narrative Republicans want to push going into and the election. And if there's an incident, Nelson. Well, that's right. Uh, these people haven't been vetted. Uh, that needed to be done. You know, leaving was the right thing, but the way it was done was shameful and unnecessary. There was no planning. There was no appreciation of, of the, the reality on the ground. So we have contractors here in North Carolina who can't get their actual visa holders out, people that we know have helped with their families. So you're going to have thousands of people that are either going to be murdered or rot in prison. And the military and State Department leadership should have put their stars on the table. They should have demanded a different plan that would have allowed both the people, Americans, people who worked with the Americans over those, those 20 years, to come out in an orderly, correct way and to fully vet anyone else. Okay, to be continued, let's talk about the ad wars that are beginning for the midterms, Joe. Unbelievable. I think in American politics has become more or less like the painting of the Golden Gate Bridge. Getting done just means it's time to get started again. And this really seems like early for ads to begin, but the National Republican Congressional Committee running ads, 47 what they consider to be highly vulnerable Democrats, 29 are in districts that President Biden did not win in 2020. The under uh, girding all of this is the sense of redistricting. And, and looking at the analysis, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas all are going to have redistricting uh, take place before the 2022 election and are likely to produce opportunities for Republicans to to pick up seats in the U.S. House, where Democrats currently hold a razor-thin majority. Um, I think what we're going to see is these ads will continue, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars spent probably in places like these battleground states. In North Carolina, the U.S. Senate race to replace Richard Burr, for the Republicans to hold this as a Senate seat for the GOP is important to their efforts to take control of the U.S. Senate. Ted Budd recently, ads running, uh, paid for by the Club for Growth, a conservative organization out of Washington, reminding voters that Budd had been endorsed by President Trump, polling showing that people didn't really know that much about Ted Budd, but when you throw in the fact that he has been endorsed by Donald Trump, his favorables go way up, and I think that's why the ads talk about Trump's endorsement of Bud's campaign. Nelson, how do you see the midterms? Is there a wave coming? Does this feel like a wave to you? 
it, it feels like a wave is building. You know, normally, a uh, president's party can expect to lose about 25 seats in the midterm. The, the exceptions to that were in recent history were in 98 and 02, when the president's party actually gained seats in the midterms. But that was when Presidents Clinton and Presidents Bush were both in their mid-60s in terms of job approval. Right now, Biden is trending in the mid-40s in terms of job approval. It's, it's, it's heading down. That is not, that is the um, essence of building a wave. Now, can he overcome the pandemic? Afghanistan, he probably can, but the question is, uh, will he uh, be able to overcome inflation? Will he be able to overcome concerns with the economy? As was said once, it's the economy, stupid. And to that point, just this week, it was an anticipation of around 750,000 new jobs created. The report came in at roughly around 250, 260,000 jobs created. So there are signs of concern in the economy in addition to inflation and questions with job growth. It does come down to the economy, doesn't it, Mitch? It usually does, unless there's something really major outside of the economy, like a war that uh, that counteracts that. Or but, terrorist but incident. Terrorist incident. I think the inflation issue is something that we're going to be watching for a while. We saw that some of the ads that are coming out now are talking about the cost of school supplies, so really hitting the families where it hurts. Kitchen but, table. Uh, kitchen table issues. This is the type of thing that's likely to continue to be an issue well into 2022 and probably into November. If people are still concerned about not being able to spend their money the way they did just a few months earlier. That's going to be an issue. Joni, your thoughts, my friend? We're still six months away from a primary. And no, I don't have a background in public relations or political advertising, but I do you suspect... You one on TV, don't you? <laughs> Thank you. But I do suspect that at least now the candidates are trying to create a certain perception about each other. And that way, you kind of get a head start so that when there starts to be name recognition, when there starts to be voters paying attention, they kind of have an assumed idea of who people are. And once you have a perception of somebody, it's very tough to change that. So if so that's you, a great point because first impressions in my mind do matter. So if you paint someone as an extreme radical on the left or the right, if you uh, paint someone associated with Donald Trump and the January 6th uh, riot on Capitol Hill or if or with the squad, you know, that that matters when people start to pay attention. again. OK, we got to move on. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. Well, with all the news about Afghanistan, Hurricane Ida, the Delta variant, we might have missed something that was really big and really scary on the fiscal front. And that is that the uh, trustees for Social Security and Medicare every year on April 1st are supposed to give an update on where things stand. Well, didn't happen April 1st. That's not uncommon. This deadline is often missed. But having that information come out on September 1st is later than it did ever under Barack Obama or Donald Trump. And we see that the numbers are very scary. Social Security faces a, a hole of 19 and a half trillion dollars to cover that. You're either going to have to raise the payroll taxes by 27 percent or slash benefits by about 21 percent. What about raising the age? You could raise the age. That'll have uh, an impact in certain respects. But uh, but whatever the solution is, it's not going to be the status quo. Meanwhile, Medicare, the report says there's going to be a deficit okay. in all future years and the trust fund will be dry in 2026, just five years from now. Jonah. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Thanks very much. Don't count on Social Security. Uh, yeah. uh, You're too young. So uh, speaking of young, I had a course in uh, at, at 
college at Boston University was called the U.S. history since 1968. And they said 1968 was the year the dream died. One, because of the assassination of Martin Luther King, but also the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. And the, uh, the, the murderer for uh, Kennedy, Sirhan Sirhan, was just given, or the parole board said that he could be released. Now, ultimately, that decision rests with Governor Gavin Newsom in California. But this is kind of un underreported, I think, because, one, I think Robert Kennedy's impact on politics in the U.S., how popular he was, that has kind of been missed. The Kennedys are kind of a forgotten name in America now. It's a whole generation has been removed. But this idea that someone who changed the course of American history can then be granted parole, that's kind of fascinating to me and uh, quite controversial, and I'm surprised that it doesn't get more airtime. I agree with that. Some of the Kennedy children are for the parole, some are against. Okay, let's move on, underreported story. Yeah, the Gallup organization released a poll this week uh, assessing parents' perspective on public education. Interestingly enough, 73% of parents with a child in a public school said that they were very satisfied with the quality of K-12 education in America. Now, if you <clears> take the numbers from everybody, including those that don't have children in the public school system, 54% of the respondents said they were overall dissatisfied with the quality of K-12 education in America. The, the numbers have sort of shifted back in terms of percentage of kids being homeschooled now that schools are reopening. Uh, some of the issues around COVID, the mandates for masks and vaccines for teachers and whether there is an option for kids to learn remotely again, I think a lot of these questions will now, even in a post-COVID world, imagining that happens sooner rather than later, a lot of questions will come up for public policy makers. What is the right course for public education for this country going forward? Nelson, underreported, my friend. Well, lessons from the first uh, global superpower. Great Britain was the first global superpower. And in light of Afghanistan. It's important to note the British uh, Empire also had disasters uh, in Khartoum, Gallipoli, Singapore, and all of those. Cyber Pass. They did. Um, uh, the Britain eventually did prevail, and in part because they could not afford to retreat from the world. They were a global empire. For the United States, as the second global superpower, Vietnam, Somalia, Afghanistan, they teach us the same lessons that we should have learned from history. Now, in our case, America can mm. actually afford uh, to retreat from the world, but the caution is for our adversaries in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia, it would be very wise for them to allow the giant to go to sleep. Okay, let's go to lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? What's up is bipartisan cooperation on North Carolina education goals. Now, we hear the fight about the state budget involving the General Assembly and Governor Cooper, but meanwhile, there's a new group called the Hunt-Lee Commission. The chair emeritus is former Governor Jim Hunt. The, uh, the Lees, there are two of them, former State Senator Howard Lee and current State Senator Michael Lee. They're going to get business, philanthropy, education people together, come out with some goals for some wide uh, education goals. Meet four by, times a year. By, meet four times a year and have a report by spring of 2022. My down is Vice President Kamala Harris. There was a recent Rasmussen report poll that said that 52% of voters think President Biden should resign because of the Afghanistan debacle. Even a higher percentage think that Harris is unqualified to replace him. Is she in witness protection right now? I haven't seen her. Okay, who's up and who's down this week? What's up is the number of people being affected by severe weather. Uh, just, I mean, shocking images, not just coming out of Louisiana, who was battered on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina by Hurricane Ida, but what we're seeing in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, in New York. Uh, when we were airing this show, there were more than 40 people killed. The flooding in the subways in New York City, uh, Center City, Philadelphia, and of course, that just doesn't count about the wildfires out west and everything else. And 
you know, you really can't escape these kind of natural disasters anywhere in the country. So we've really got to think about that as we move forward. Um, What's down is President Biden's domestic agenda. He is very lucky that the infrastructure votes in the Senate happened before what happened in Afghanistan. The first infrastructure I bill. Yeah, I don't for think. 1.2 trillion. Yeah, I don't think it would have passed uh, one of the bipartisan infrastructure. Right. And now we have Senator Joe Manchin, who's the moderate Democrat from West Virginia, saying, "I will not support the 3.5 trillion dollar, uh, you know, human infrastructure budget." And that's going to create some Democratic infighting. Who's up, who's down quickly? Well, yeah, what America makes better than anybody else in the world is celebrities. And so this week, uh, Alana Honey Boo Boo Thompson, who was uh -oh. famous for a reality <laughs> show, turned 16, gave an interview with Teen Vogue. She is back on the, uh, on the uh, mm. market and undoubtedly will be a candidate for Congress here shortly. Who's down? Interestingly She's getting a enough, recall in California. <laughs> yes, right. Okay, go ahead. Interestingly enough, who's down uh, is social media in China, where their government is cracking down on celebrities presence on their social media saying no more will we have popularity lists no more will we have celebrities have an unfettered to the, uh, access to the public that through social so media shocking. Nelson who's up and who's down this week job openings are up there's a real crisis there June data showed that a record 10.1 million jobs uh, were open uh, you can't get them filled 70% uh, of all the separations in June were voluntary they were retirements or, or in some cases people going for a better job down quickly down very quickly. Speaker Pelosi this week, uh, the speaker shut down an effort on the floor by House uh, Republican veterans who wanted to honor the 13 service members who lost their lives in Afghanistan. Headline next week, Mitch. Lawmakers begin mountains to coast tour on redistricting hearings. Jonah, headline next week. Country unites as we mark 20 years since 9-11. Are we safer today than we were 20 years ago? In different ways and in different ways not. Okay, headline next week. With all of the trouble in the world, resurgence COVID, Afghanistan, cyber Crime, are we in line for a financial market surprise in October? Great call. Headline next week. Afghanistan cast a shadow on 9-11 observances. Great job, gents. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Have a great Labor Day weekend. See you next week. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round is provided by NC Realtors, Helen Lockery, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.